As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Special Saturday edition of the VanCast. Trancer, look, we've always uh, been going after Canuck games here during the playoffs, and we know that they haven't played since Tuesday night, but an extraordinary couple of days in the hockey world. A lot of ground to cover. We've got a new schedule for this series after the hiatus, so uh, we felt because... We, we try not to go on back-to-backs as well. And so with games Saturday and Sunday, it was going to be until Monday. And it just felt like from Wednesday till Monday felt too long for us. And I imagine for some of the people as well. And I should say thank you. Uh, all the kind words to people that reached out after our 100th episode the other day. That was fun. So it was great to hear from so many people. But just kind of felt important to get back on the podcasting machine here today. Absolutely. This has been a 48 hours unlike any we've ever seen before in the hockey world. Uh, we've also had a variety of news that's you know hit close to home uh, for for us, uh, obviously regarding Jason Botchford, and then also for me the investigation into Dale Talon's comments as well. Uh, there was just too much out there, too much going on. We felt we needed something to address all of that, and so you know we'll we'll, we'll go ahead and have a, a heavy conversation here, and then get into the game sort of later into the podcast. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to to Jordan Bainbridge, who's been sending me these hilarious Photoshop jobs of of sleeping J-Pat, in addition to um, me with snorkels and and me with a a mustache, like a Monopoly sort of getup going. Um, I'll tweet those out so that people can see, but but Jordan, you've been making us laugh. Thank you kindly. And, you know, I hope that that everyone enjoys this, and and thanks thanks for your support over 100 episodes. Yeah, and look, we can use a little levity because, uh, you know, we like to have fun here on the podcast. We cover hockey. It's a pretty good gig for the most part, but there are times that real-life issues rise up, and and we're not going to shy away from them. And so in no particular order, let's just jump in because there is a ton to unpack. And, Mm -hmm. And obviously yesterday, 
Uh, the news about uh, Botch and, and the announcement by the family as a result of the coroner's report coming out. You know, an accidental overdose of cocaine and fentanyl is heavy, heavy stuff. And I've had a lot of people reach out on that, and I appreciate the support there. But I've, you know, since Jason's passing, I've also had a lot of people ask me, like, what's the real story? What did you know? You know, and that, that kind of... and. You know, I, I tried not to respond. Like, yeah. you know, I heard whispers in corners and it, all unfounded and unsubstantiated because nobody could possibly know until uh, the coroner uh, got through with the the investigation and, and the report that was issued. And, you know, that's a pretty brave statement by the family. I, I mean, the, the, the coroner's report is a public document, and I suppose the information would have been out there. And I think the family... And I reached out to Kat. I haven't heard back from her. But, you know, my sense is that they wanted to get out in front of it. You know, I hope the truth sets everybody free here now, and this is part of a massive, massive issue in this province, and not just in the province of British Columbia, it's elsewhere as well, but we know <laughs> that it is such a big problem in Vancouver, and I think this just drives home the point, and, you know, I was asked to do a couple of television interviews on it Friday, and, and of course, I was going to speak uh, about it, and, you know, I, I guess I, the point for me is that this just underscores that it's not a downtown east side issue only that it's not a these you know this isn't just happening in back alleys that i didn't know like i spent a lot of time with botch as you know and, and i know you did when you were around um you know and there were just to me there were no outward indications i spent the last 24 hours sort of racking my brain about red flags and you know did i miss things and 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 you know i, I can't say that I've come up with any answers on that front. I just didn't know. Like, and I've said this repeatedly that our relationship, as fun as it was, was, you know, at the rink for the most part, out on the road and in the podcast studio. But basically, then we went our separate ways. And so, you know, I didn't see Jason a lot socially outside of the hockey realm. I, I had no idea sort of what he was up to. And, and, you know, so when this news came out yesterday, it hit me hard. It did. And, and it's, mm -hmm. it just brought back the, sort of this wave of, sadness that has brought me right back to the day that we all learned that uh, he had passed away. Yeah. Yeah. That, that reaction mirrors mine exactly. And you know, I, I got a, I got a heads up about an hour out and, and I tried to call you J Pat, but you were on the air and I was devastated. Like I, I'm not, I don't think it's a, I mean, look, I'll tell you the story. It's a little bit embarrassing. But I eat those, like, crisp breads that are, like, those diet sandwich things. You know what I mean? I'm trying to watch my figure. And I was carrying them. Like, I, I got off the phone, and I was carrying them over to the couch. And one of them, like, fell off my plate. And I'm not kidding. I had, like, a child's temper tantrum. Like, I was I, – I had a breakdown in my kitchen. And I don't know – why like I can't really investigate why it hit me that hard maybe it's that I'd been given a heads up and I couldn't talk to anybody about it maybe it's that you know uh, maybe it's that it just hit on an issue that to me has been at the forefront of my mind for a while uh, uh, on the subject of clean supply living where I do at second in Maine I, I've heard sirens at an increasing frequency over the past three four months and it's you know, always broken my heart that the frequency with which I seem to hear them mirrors our statistics for overdose deaths in, in Vancouver and in British Columbia, you know, which have been on the rise since March, since the world shut down for COVID-19. Like, I, I just, I was so mad and, and not mad at, at Jason, just mad at the fact that he's not with us, just mad at the wastefulness of all the lost life 
that we deal with in our in our province especially but you know not just locally as you're right it's a bigger issue than that uh, you know over what strikes me is you know needlessly prohibitive laws on substances that you know can be used more safely if we were just willing to stand up to not just you know nimbies and and the what about the kids crowd but also police unions and a variety of other you know built-in interests that have kept this war on drugs going for no fucking reason and i was just so sad man like i you when you say that it hit me like like the the news of his death in the first place is exactly right and i and i couldn't really i don't really know why it hit me so hard but it did and you know, I just miss him every day. This changes absolutely nothing about his legacy. I think we'll continue, uh, not not think, I, I, I will insist on us, and I know you will too, you know, continuing with projects like the Botchford Project and continuing at the Athletic Vancouver to work in such a way uh, as to pay tribute to his legacy and his values about how the game should be reported because his values were fucking dead on there. And... But nonetheless, yesterday was a really tough one for me, and and a tough one I think for everyone who was close to Jason. Yeah, and and you know part of the reason I did two television interviews when they asked me was mm-hmm. like I kind of felt like I was his voice because there is this sense that it can't happen, can't happen to me, and Jason's an example that you know if it could happen to him, it can happen to anybody that is dabbling in yep. recreational drugs. As you talk about the supply that's out there. You just don't know, and you hear these stories on TV, and I think for a lot of people, uh, they're an over-there issue, right? That's not me, it, it, but right. Jason was a part of all of us, and so it kind of drags us all into this fight now. And, you know, for me, part of the sadness, I think, Tom, is just where we all are, and you're in Edmonton, I'm on the front line covering the Vancouver Canucks, they're playing playoff hockey, and all he wanted was to cover, and he said it himself, like, all I want to cover was this team when it's good because the last four years have been so crappy. And the number of people that have reached out when Petey's been doing his deeks or Quinn Hughes is going off or Bo Horvat's having a big night, like, you know, and I'm sure you've seen it in your mentions too. It's like, what would Botch think of this? Or I can't imagine how Botch would have covered. Like, And so there is sort of this double element of sadness because, yeah, we I think we all share those thoughts that... You know, the last four years, there haven't been playoffs to cover for the Vancouver Canucks, and here they are, and they're on this mini run now, and it's led by these young guys that he had so invested in, and yeah, like, it it would be, I mean, it would be so good to be able to read one more uh, column or one more, you know, athletes, and and so it just kind of drives home the the fact that he's not with us, and and so I think for me, that's sort of where the sadness comes from, just because his name has been front and center here a little bit when the Canucks have been playing in this playoff run and and then to have this news delivered. And so I, I just want to back up what you said about it doesn't change anything. You know, my thoughts still with the family, obviously, and, and Kat and the kids. And, you know, I, I hope I'll have a chance to talk to her before too long, but uh, just... It's, yeah, so, so sad. And we lost a great one. We knew it then. And, and then it just, it, it underscores that again. So, uh, look, it's been a tough week with real life issues. As we said right off the top, we try to have fun on the podcast and we have fun because we're covering hockey and hockey generally is fun. But, you know, when you look at the events of the last 48 hours, 
just so extraordinary, and we saw it with basketball. I think we all kind of figured on Thursday morning that hockey would, at least I don't want to speak for you, but I, I had a sense when I got up Thursday morning that hockey wasn't going to be played then, and it was just a question of, you know, how long this uh, hiatus would go and, and what it would look like and the shape it would take. And, like, that is such an image that will stick with me probably the rest of my life, not just the five representatives at the podium, but really more so the show of support, the show of force behind the guys at the podium Thursday afternoon in Edmonton was so extraordinary. And I know you posted that pick, like what we saw on the Zoom call for those of us that was on it. I mean, that was something, but you had the wider shot of players just spilling across that media room. Like it really was incredible stuff. I, I know. And, and I don't know why we didn't get to see that, but I log on to Instagram and, you know, there's a variety of NHL people that I worked with, like Rob, uh, Rob Newman's, uh, the camera guy. You'll see him if you, if you're paying attention during games, like you'll see him on the ice before the, like during the anthems or whatever. And he, he honestly looks like the God of thunder, right? Like he's got, he, he's like a, he's like a very tall man and he's got long hair, you know, like he looks like the God of thunder and he's the best. Like, honestly, of the people that I worked with in my entire time, like there was this one camera crew that was embedded with us during our, uh, during the Florida Panthers sort of late run toward the playoff that we ultimately missed by a point during the 2000, I guess, 17, 18 season, um, you know, especially after Parkland. And it was like him, Jason Katz, all these guys are in the bubble. One of some of them are in the East and they were the best people I worked with. Like I loved those guys. And so I'm just scrolling through my Instagram and I see that he's posted this pic and I'm just like, man, that is unbelievable. Like unbelievable. So I just asked him if I could use it. He said, yes. And, but I'm glad that, I'm glad that people got to see that because that, seeing that photo completely altered how I viewed what I'd seen on Zoom. Like to me, it had been a powerful image. When, when you first logged on to Zoom and saw it, it's striking immediately, right? Because it's just, we're, we're used to this antiseptic Zoom environment, right? And you opening that and it was immediately different. Like that was a very strong visual statement for reporters, but to see that, you know, if, if it wasn't every guy from all four teams, it was pretty damn close. To see that yesterday blew my mind. And, you know, what a testament to what a special day this was. And, and you know, you talk about things Jason would have loved to cover. Like, late Wednesday evening, as the final games are pl- being played, conversations began among Eastern Conference players in the bubble, but also among Vancouver Canucks players about whether or not they should play. Those conversations continued into the morning. There was a lot of chatter, I'm told, according to a a Canucks source. And a group of Canucks ultimately sort of lead a discussion in the locker room. They approach Ryan Reeves via text message. They end up meeting with a large group of Vegas Golden Knights players. These guys have been chirping and, you know, living rent-free in each other's minds and shutting each other up and on and on. And they meet together they decide that you know they should in fact not play that they should postpone the game and that and that's really what gets the ball rolling for eight teams collectively sort of coming together and postponing the NHL playoffs for 2 days to make a, an anti-racist statement and wow like just wow that's unbelievable that's an unbelievable story and and there's still a lot we don't know about it like i think we know the broad strokes of it now but i don't think we know the play by play 
And, you know, for, for when we talk about things Botch would have been excited for, like a team that he covered showing that type of character, that type of leadership, that's, that's fucking high on the list. And uh, I just wanted to tie it back because I did think about that too. But what an unbelievable statement from the Canucks. And, and you know, a, a surprising testament to, I think, uh, the character of these guys that we've been covering. Like, I don't know that I would have expected that from them. Uh, frankly, like I think they're good guys. I've enjoyed working with these players over the course of the season, but I came away from yesterday pretty damn impressed that they were having, you know, that those types of mature conversations. And and as someone within the Canucks organization told me, it's pretty incredible when you're playing or preparing for the playoffs to be able to take a moment and focus on the wider issues, considering you know the circumstances in the bubble and being away from their families as they are, um, you know. The NHL was late to the party, but what NHL players accomplished on that, that shouldn't take away from what NHL players accomplished on Thursday, and the Canucks were a huge part of getting that ball rolling. And I, I joked on Twitter that I wondered if there were referees in the room uh, when the Canucks <laughs> and the Golden Knights met, because like you're right, there are a lot of details that haven't been sort of fleshed out here that I couldn't get through on the Zoom. I had my hand up, but uh, I mean, likewise, it was a, yeah, a busy Zoom, and so uh, I got that, but. Um, just the dynamic, like the idea of these two teams in the middle of a heated playoff battle, setting their differences aside and coming together in the same room. Like it just, I hope that there are some stories that'll be told after the fact. I will say this, and I saw other people in the media, and sometimes I think the general fans think that it's all self-serving. But, you know, on Thursday, it was, we want our voices heard. And then Friday, there was a media blackout in the Western bubble. It was just the Eastern teams that spoke. And and I thought that was a missed opportunity. And I think it was a league directive because all of the teams in the Western bubble didn't speak on Friday. But, you know, they could have filled in a few of the blanks. Like if we had had access to a few more Canucks just to, you know, Bo Horvat was one of the front men uh, at that extraordinary Thursday panel. But, you know, it just, I, there, I have so many questions and I would have loved to have been able to, to bounce a few of them off some players if we had had access to them. But... Hopefully down the road at some point we'll be able to kind of backtrack just because this idea of teams getting together for a common cause in the middle of a playoff series is just in on some levels blows my mind. But uh, I'm with you. I was so impressed. And like I know, you know, after game one, there was all this talk about Ryan Reeves and maybe too much talk. But I was really impressed with him uh, standing there. He was incredible. yeah, as the point man, obviously, and yeah. as a person of color, like taking on that role and understanding, you know, his, and it wasn't just him. I mean, Nazem Kadri and, and Pierre Edward Belmar, yeah. uh, all at the podium, um, you know, good on them. Like, it, it was just, that was a great moment for hockey and an extraordinary couple of days here and an important couple of days. And, and we all survived, right? Like, I know initially people were like, just play, just play the game. You're just, you know, you're following nah, basketball, fuck those people. just play the game. It, didn't, right, it but, didn't feel right. It didn't feel right. Like, I was in the building on that Wednesday night. I, I you know, I tweeted some warm-up stuff. When the game started, I stopped. I tweeted, who cares about the scores, right? Because I didn't care. And my mentions were maggot up for yeah. 48 hours, which is a really stressful experience. Like, at the end of the day, I don't really care. But I had to change my sort of settings because there was just too much shit getting through. I'm too tired right now. Like, I don't know if people can tell because I'm super ornery relative to my usual sunny self. But I've been grinding pretty hard here with, with, with nary a day off. And so I've been pretty at my wit's end. I didn't have, like, the emotional strength 
at the moment to like live through all these people like going over Jacob Blake's rap sheet as if that fucking matters. Like as if that's the point of this and completely missing what this is actually about. And so, you know, but I was there. I'm watching this game. I'm thinking about how, you know, there was a 7-1 shellacking of the Boston Bruins and no one on my Twitter feed enjoyed it. You know what I mean? It's like if there's one thing I expect hockey Twitter to really enjoy, it's Boston losing 7-1 in the playoffs, right? Like that I expect to be like a joyous moment for the online hockey community. No one enjoyed it. Then I watched this Dallas Avalanche game and, you know, the Avs play unbelievably in the second period. Like truly them at their high octane best, they build this 3-1 lead. Dallas eliminates it. They take the lead in the third period and Colorado storms back like Miko Rantanen, beautiful goal. They win 6-4, one of the best playoff games I've seen in the Western bubble. And I'm standing there watching it and I'm just like, this is fucking stupid. Why am I here? That sucks. Like that's the mistake that the league made in my view was the league punted it to the players entirely on that Wednesday. And in my view, that created an environment where games were played that were not a celebration of hockey at all. Right, that actually took away from the games themselves. And the players did the right thing on Thursday morning. And I do think that ultimately, the way it played out and with the player-driven movement on Thursday, maybe that's the best possible outcome. I still think I would have liked the league to maybe like, hey, let's cool off here for these latter two games. And I don't think if they'd done that and then the players made the decisions that they made Thursday, it would have been cheapened in any way, shape, form, or otherwise. But, man, that Wednesday night, like, and, you know, Canuck Source mentioned it to me, too. They thought it felt eerie. They thought it was an eerie experience in that building, and, and they found it reminiscent of that night in Arizona when news from other sports leagues were coming in and, you know, you right. weren't sure if yep. you would play the next day. And that's exactly how I felt, too. Uh, but I thought the eerie description was, was an apt one, and that's from, you know, uh, Canucks management source in the bubble. So, you know, I, I think that... I, I just ultimately think that those games shouldn't have been played Wednesday, and, and I was disappointed when they were, and, and I just thought it was messy. Like, I just thought the whole day was messy, which is why I kind of tried to document the minutia of it, just to sort of show people why these games kind of, you know, and not put my hand on the scale. Just let you make up your own mind. Like, should this have gone ahead in all of its messy glory? For me, no. But... I don't think that takes away from the players finally at the end of the day getting it right on Thursday morning and getting it right in a, in a, in a fashion that you know truly impressed me um, and and showed I think too that a lot of the national media kicking the shit out of the players on Wednesday right oh the players nothing happened it's like man there's a lot of sacrifice going on like if you've read the article I wrote about Jordy Ben right like <laughs> being in the bubble and and being here right now doing what they've done to live like this and now we're talking about you know it's been 80 days for some guys some guys 75 days if you had visa issues to do this away from family away from you know you're missing kids first steps you're missing births you're missing tons of major life events uh, to, to to be here right now to do this and so for them the expectation being that within three hours of the Bucks not taking the floor, NHL players, all of them would have gotten together and made a, a, the decision that everyone wanted and made it cleanly. Like that to me is unrealistic. And I, and I think a lot of the crap that the players took, a lot of that scrutiny uh, was completely unfair. And I think it was shown to be completely unfair on Thursday. Not that anyone sort of checked themselves or recanted. 
you know, it's funny you mentioned that, and I'm glad you did. Like, you know, Boston loses 7-1. to Like, Canuck fans in a normal world are just dunking all over that, right? Like, on Twitter. Like, that's just, that's a dunk fest for Canuck fans. But not just Canuck fans, probably people around hockey, and I didn't see a lot of that. And I'm glad you brought up that Colorado-Dallas game, because I sat here and... You know, I, that's Wednesday night, and, and I had a lot of the thoughts that you sort of articulated there. But in isolation, that was a hell of a hockey game. Like, I wish. It really was. The, the circum, I wish the circumstances had been better because that was incredible. Just the, and, you know, I give the Dallas Stars credit here. Like, I didn't think that they would score many goals. Like, I thought their bread and butter was just to choke the life out of you and try and win one nothing every night. They've actually turned into a wildly entertaining team that has, you know, shown up for the fight here. Keyword, mildly. <laughs> They're a fun team until they take the lead, and then they are five back, five back, five back. They, they clog the neutral zone. They trap it up. Like, they are a retro defensive team. It is actually weird. They're scoring way more They're than scoring I thought. They're scoring like crazy. I mean, start, yeah. Started against Calgary, and they've carried it over against Colorado, and we'll we'll see where that series goes. Uh, look, this issue-driven episode of the VanCast, there's also something that we have to get to that sort of hits close to home for you, and, and that was this news that came out uh, early Friday that the NHL has launched this formal investigation now into the use of racial slurs by Dale Talon, a guy that uh, you work pretty closely with down in Florida. So I don't know how much you want to go into that discussion, but I thought I should at least bring it up and, and give you the floor. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm sure, leave some of our listeners disappointed, but I'm not exactly sure what the, well, the AP wrote that the investigation entails things from years past, which means that it might cover off a portion of, you know, my time being employed by the organization. And if that's the case, you know, I don't want to bias something of this gravity with any public comments, right, at the moment. So I do want to be a little bit careful, but I will say this. I, I you know, I will say that there are a variety of attitudes and you know, a variety of environmental things that I did witness in the Panthers that seemed to me to lack professionalism and be a product of a homogenous uh, work environment with far too little accountability. And, you know, I found that disappointing on the whole. I, I would say that in terms of the level of respect I enjoyed, uh, it was far below the professional standards that I've expected everywhere else that I've worked um, and that I always found that tr troubling and difficult to deal with, even as I gave my absolute all to that job and did my best to protect the shield while I was there. Um, that was the gig. And so, you know, that sucked. Like, that that was not a fun part of my life. Um, Dale Talon is not in the top five bosses I've ever reported to. <laughs> and all of that said, I, I think that it's important to remember here that, like, if you look at Dale's work as a general manager or if you listen to what he's said over the years publicly, like you cannot tell me that he's a, more than a conventional general manager, right? Like Dale is a conventional human being. And, you know, I never heard anything that would rise to this level, uh, you know, what would seem to be alleged by this investigation. But I will say that if it, we'll see what the NHL uncovers here. But if it ends up being true, I think it's important to remember that Dale's 
probably not the worst or the only among that vintage of hockey people in the league. Uh, and this would be emblematic to me of a much larger issue uh, at play for the sport and one that really demands that overall we find ways to make the sport more accessible. You know, like my, my sister went and bought skates for, for her, her seven-year-old um, son and they're like 200 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like yeah. you know, I, I was talking to Farhan yesterday. He's talking about the, the cost of academy hockey. You know what I mean? And it's like an annual salary. Like, it's nuts. Right. And, yeah. you know, you're not going to create the sorts of environments that we want in this sport where you have diversity uh, unless you find ways to make the sport more accessible and find ways to shepherd, um, you know, into the executive and coaching ranks and the business side ranks too, um, you know, more people of color, more women. Uh, if, if they can't figure out how to do that, if the sport, if we can't come together and find a way to create a more diverse game, we're never really going to solve these issues. I, I do think that ultimately different perspectives are the key solution to creating a more tolerant and more accessible and more diverse uh, hockey milieu as it was as it were and and for me anyway I really do think it does start with the accessibility of the game and it starts with more diverse personnel in key decision making roles for NHL teams and that was one of the things that stuck out with me I mean we talked about the fact that three of the five players that were at the podium in that western bubble you know were visible minorities and you know do we need more in hockey sure but there were three of five like you know, it's not often you would say that there's a majority, uh, but there were three of the five at the podium uh, were players of color. And then what struck me, you know, they bring out the four coaches and they're all four middle to older age white guys. And that yep. speaks, you know, that's across the coaching ranks in the National Hockey League. I know that a fair bit's been made about Manny Malhotra being one of the few, if not the only right now, visible minority uh, you know, there have been others, and, and like Travis Green had Paul Gerard on his staff in Utica, and Paul yep. worked in Dallas and Colorado as well. In Calgary. I think he's coaching college right now. Yep. Uh, you know, and, and so I'm not saying that there haven't been, and I hope that there are more opportunities, but that was sort of one of the stark contrasts to me was, here are the players, you know, it's far from a perfect group, but they're making strides, and yet you bring out the coaches, and they looked awfully similar, uh, the right. four guys that were sitting there at the podium. You know, the, the, uh, question, the oh. question I didn't get to with the coaches, like, because I wasn't called on, but the question I wanted to ask was, when you think about this season unlike any other, right, and think about where these social justice conversations began in, you know, October, November, with... Uh, really a discussion of coaching, right? And and a discussion of the head coach's role. Uh, how do you sort of look back on what this season has meant to you as a head coach about a head coach's role in creating progress in the National Hockey League, right? Like that was the question I really wanted to ask because we forget that, you know, in some ways what we've seen this spring with NHL players being outspoken about Black Lives Matter and certainly with the postponement of the Stanley Cup playoffs yesterday, like it, it does kind of feel like a, a branch off of a tree that began to sprout in November and October with the reckoning and with Bill Peters and with cho uh, conversations about, you know, professionalism in hockey and, you know, conversations about head coaching and their role and what's across the line. And I would have loved to hear their perspective on that entire sort of picture 
as opposed to just what happened over the last 48 hours because I think they would have had a lot to say. I bet you they've all spent a lot of time thinking about that um, and probably a lot more time thinking about that than they have thinking about the overall politics just because, you know, the Aline Vigneault thing, right? That was a tone-deaf answer, right? Straight sure. up. I'm not going to yeah. defend it at great length. But I also thought it was fucking honest, right? Like, I just think that's true. I just think he's been at his computer drinking wine. And, and I just don't think he's thought about it beyond that. And, you know, for all that you might want to dunk on a guy for being that narrow, uh, and I think that's fair, like, you're welcome to. I, I don't think you can say that he was being dismissive. I just think he was being honest. And so I would have loved to hear them talk about the not the politics of sort of the wider politics, but the politics of what you can do as a coach to foment support the types of changes we want to see in the game. Because I just think they would have had more to say on that narrow topic, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And and. Uh, you know, I, I'm with you. Like, I, I was startled a little bit by AV's comments just because I feel like I know him a little bit and, and have a pretty good sense of who he is as a person. Uh, I still have trouble believing that he doesn't have a sense of what's going on in the world around him. But I also get what you're talking about, that in this bubble and these guys are just throwing themselves into hockey uh, probably more than... Uh, you know, in a, in a normal life, but mm-hmm. still, uh, yeah, know, no, I, I what, he, I, did, he didn't like, nail it. I, I give him, I <laughs> like give him credit not... for no, but I give him a little bit of credit for the honesty part uh, because he could have just kind of stick handled. Although I guess uh, if that had led to more questions, then maybe he would have been digging himself a, a little bit of a hole. But yep. you know, I thought the four coaches in the West, you know, addressed the issues that were asked of them, and you're right. I think we all had more questions. Those things could have gone on all day, but uh, all things considered. Uh, an exceptional 48 hours for hockey. I don't think that anybody, I mean, yeah, we missed the game, but we're all okay. Like we survived without games on the ice for two days. And now uh, you talk about being tired in the bubble, Tom. I think you've looked at the schedule. Like, uh, I hope you've got, uh, <laughs> I hope you got it within you. Cause if this thing goes seven, the Canucks in Vegas, uh, there's not much downtime now. I mean, no. five and seven is extraordinary with a pair of back to backs in there starting this weekend. So let's just finish up with a little bit of, uh, we'll bring it back to the games on the ice and the Canucks and Vegas haven't played since Tuesday. And I know that the Canucks felt like they announced their arrival in this series and there was so much to like in that game two victory. And, you know, I would imagine that these guys, like they're all adults, they're pros. The The regular season schedule has play, them playing compressed portions, but they also have breaks too. And, you know, I think when the puck drops tonight, like it'll be game on. They'll be able to put and sort of compartmentalize the last 48 hours and get back to doing what they're doing. You know, that uh, there was some chatter about, uh, you know, will the trash talk pick up or have they kind of held hands here? And, you know, this show of solidarity is not going to change anything. I, I, I think you I, are I, who you are. Yeah. Like when the game, <laughs> when the game got, like Antoine Roussel, I'm sure he lent himself to the cause, but. You know, for him to play and play effectively, he's got to do Antoine Roussel things, and it probably starts in the warm-up tonight. So I can't imagine that the events of the last couple of days are really going to impact the on-ice product. If it impacts the on-ice product, it'll impact it until the first hit. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things yeah. that after the first hit, everyone's going to be like, oh, that was a bad hit. Like, oh, I hate you. <laughs> or like the other teams being like, you're whining. You're the worst. And then they'll get back to work. Like, that's how hockey works. And good, good. Like, I'm glad hockey works like that. That's how hockey should work. And you know what? There's 
I, I think the, the the best sports are ones where the players are gentlemen away from the ice and ruthless competitors on it, right? Like, that's the best sporting environment you can have. Um, I'm pretty confident we'll get that out of Vancouver and Vegas, despite what they showed off of it. Um, what do you think about the goalies, by the way? Be, uh, you know, I'm calling this, I'm calling anytime Marc-Andre Fleury starts and there's a controversy around it and we're, we are all sort of like, ooh, Marc-Andre Fleury, ooh. Um, I think that should be called, <laughs> it's called uh, DeBoer War. That's called DeBoer War. Um, the, the battle between Alan Walsh and DeBoer. It's DeBoer War. And I'm very curious to see how this plays out, especially because I feel like, I feel like Vancouver's going to start Markstrom Game 3. I don't think there's any question. But Vegas, I—I I mean, we'll we'll find out a little more. But I wouldn't be stunned if we see Flurry tonight, on Saturday night. Really, I like I, I think Robin Lehner, he wasn't terrible in Game Two. I know that the Canucks got four past him and then the empty netter. But like, oh, I, I think know. it's I, about expect, managing. I think, I think it's about managing back to backs. To be clear, I hear you, but I, I think it's Lehner and Markstrom to start on Saturday, and then decisions that have to be made based on the outcome of game number three. And this is the thing about back-to-backs, and we saw it in the St. Louis series. Like, Canucks were riding high up 2 nothing, and within about 27 hours, the Blues won back-to-back. And remember all the talk, like, their Canucks are cooked, they're done, the momentum, all that. But, like, things shift so quickly that if you think about it, as we record this on a Saturday morning, by Sunday night, the Canucks could be one win away from punching their ticket to the Final Four. <laughs> Jesus. Right? Like, Jesus. as crazy as this week has been... The Canucks could be on the verge of advancing to the Western Conference Championship if they can have an extraordinary, exceptional uh, two-night run. And given the way they played on Tuesday, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I'm not sitting here telling you it's going to happen, but that's how quickly this stuff comes at you when you've got these back-to-back games. Yeah, yeah, and we've seen what the blueprint now looks like for how the Canucks can hang in this series, right? And it's attack against the grain with ruthless efficiency, Stretch Vegas out, north-south, right? And make sure your breakout doesn't get absolutely crushed at the stem, which it did in the last 12 minutes of the second period of Game 2, right? If the Canucks can do that at 5-on-5, can be potent at all on the power play, which, you know, I think they can be, um, they have a shot. Like, they have a real shot. And, And, of course, don't forget Markstrom needs to be the best player in the series, right? Like, if those three things can happen, and I don't think those three things are, like, pie in the sky ridiculous, Right? Like, those three things are realistic. They're realistic possibilities. Vancouver Vancouver has a real shot here. That's crazy. Like, that's crazy to think about when I, when I, when I sort of step back and think about what I've seen about, of these teams over the last 12 months. The fact that, you know, I'm sitting here now and I'm like, man, if Vancouver can just keep breaking it out, find a way to stretch Vegas vertically, have their league best power play firing, and have their best goaltender in the West play like the best goaltender in the West. Like, mm, yeah, maybe, maybe this can happen. Um, crazy, just just insanity, and and full credit to a variety of players and coaches who've sort of brought them to this point, especially some of their depth guys who've held up, who've held up. Period. Like they've held up in this playoff. I wouldn't have expected that. I've been wrong to this point. I'm not saying I'm wrong overall. I'm saying I've been wrong to this point in this tournament. Um, they've held up. They've played pretty well, and that's that gives Vancouver a real shot here. I think, you know, when we talk about the goaltending issue, obviously marathon overtime is the wild card here. And the league has kind of set itself up, uh, or at least painted itself into a bit of a corner with this compressed schedule 
five and seven. Like if one of these games was to be one of those killer overtimes, or even if Dallas, Colorado on Sunday, the early game in the Edmonton bubble was to go super long, like there just isn't any wriggle room. Like I, I, I'm not wishing it upon the NHL, but there's a part of me that would kind of like to see what plan B looks like when you jam five games over seven nights, uh, you know, to, to finish up a playoff series. So, you know, we haven't seen a ton of lengthy overtimes, obviously, Columbus and Tampa had the uh, all-timer in this playoff run, but, you know, I I almost feel like we're due for a game that, uh, you know, extends itself uh, just a little bit. So, yeah, I'm sure there are are people in the head office that uh, have their fingers and toes crossed that that doesn't happen because there really isn't uh, much room to slither here if one of these games was to, to go forever. Hey, and I want to wind this back. I want to wind this back as we've been doing for the last episode anyway. Two two cam loops, <laughs> yes. yeah. but I'm not going where you think I'm going. Although I'd love to. Okay, um, I very kindly uh, Ryan Rashog had my wife and I and and Farhan over for dinner last night, and Ryan told me a story which I'd never heard before involving you, J Pat, about okay, how okay. his very first broadcast experience he was you know mentioned that he had some interest in it. To, to yep. the GM and gets assigned to be color on a game with you on the mic, the mid-90s Kamloops Blazers. He loves it, and he enrolls to BCIT like three weeks later. Um, just had to bring that up. I, I'd never heard that. I didn't know that Ryan Rashog's first broadcasting experience had been, you know, um, caddying for you, or maybe you were caddying for him. I, I'll get the story from you. But I had to bring it up just because I instantly, my eyes widened, and I was like, wow, that's unbelievable. Um, I need to ask J-Pat about this. Yeah, so this is becoming a new feature on the, the VanCast is uh, Kamloops Broadcasters. Kamloops Corner. <laughs> yes. No, look, I had a ton of time for Reese as a player, and he, he'd be the first to tell you that uh, he was not a star hockey player. Oh, he uh, oversells he, that, though. He's like, I but, can't even handle the puck. Oh, my God. <laughs> but he, he was one of those guys. He, he, got, yeah. he gave it what he could and, and made it to major junior hockey. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was Saskatoon or Prince Albert. I can't remember. He probably would. But I, I, you know, I vaguely recall it was a long time ago now. We're talking mm-hmm. 25 years. But, but I do remember that. And I had a couple of other players along the way that stepped in and did that. But I'm not sure anybody sort of ever showed the spark that, that he did to make a go of it in this career. And further to giving him an opportunity to do color, you know, he started at the radio station in Kamloops, too, when I was there so after his hockey days, he kind of got in and was doing some intern work at the radio station. And, and so, you know, I've worked with him a couple of ways, a couple of stops along the way and, and have always maintained a great working relationship with him. And obviously when I've gone to Edmonton or the times that he's been out here for events or whatever, you know, run into him. And I got all day for Ryan Rashog. So uh, I'm not surprised that uh, they were as hospitable as they were to uh, welcome you guys in. And I'm glad to hear that my name came up in the conversation because it wouldn't <laughs> be a party. It wouldn't no. be a party unless there was some J-Pat talk, right? That was awesome. That's so cool. Um, and and I, I, that is that is fascinating to me that he took to it immediately uh, because he's become a hell of a reporter. So um, yeah. a pretty tremendous career for him. All right, so we'll get back to what we do best, which is talking about Canuck hockey games after the fact. Now, we've said throughout we don't like back-to-backs because there just isn't enough turnaround time. So we'll get back at it on Monday, and, man, we'll have a ton to digest, obviously, with two games Mm -hmm. 
worth of material there. So uh, we won't have a podcast for you on Sunday, but uh, we'll get back at it Monday, and we know they're going to play Tuesday for sure, and uh, we'll see where the series is. We'll take stock of things on Monday morning when we get back with a brand new VanCast. In the meantime, uh, in addition to Wednesday with Pierre Lebrun, Scott Burnside has daily playoff editions of Two-Man Advantage Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday as he keeps you up to date on what's going on in both the Eastern and Western bubbles here. Scott keeps you up to speed on the NHL action, plus some of the Athletic's best hockey writers stop by to help him break down the games and look ahead, and you'll only find that at the Athletic, and I know you've made an appearance on that special Stanley Cup version of the podcast, so uh, we look forward to uh, continued coverage from Scott, and we'll get back at it and carry on with a new one on Monday. But we just felt it was important, uh, with a lot of ground to cover here, to bust out a, a, a VanCast on this Saturday. Check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app, and don't forget, rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. Click on theathletic.com slash thevancast to get 40% off your subscription. Drancer, enjoy the weekend. Uh, hope you're up to back-to-back games here because obviously things heating up for the Canucks and the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, I thought I was done with two-a-day playoff games. Um, but just, <laughs> no. just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. We'll go with Colorado-Vancouver tomorrow and, and, and Vancouver-Vegas tonight. Can't wait. It's going to be fun. Three, three huge playoff games in a, in a 48-hour span in the Edmonton bubble, and I will be there transcribing all the swears as I do. <laughs> All right, VIPs. Uh, have yourself a great weekend. Enjoy the hockey games, and we'll be back with a brand-new VanCast for you on Monday here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.